At the signal, time will be out of joint. Hello, and welcome to Weird Signal, the podcast about all things weird, eerie, and hauntological. I'm Lucy, and as ever, I'm here with Sean. Hello. And today we're talking with Leah Mice. Uh, Leah is a producer, DJ, and instrument designer, and is currently working on a PhD in instrument design at the Augmented Instruments Lab of Queen Mary's University, London. Leah, hello. Hello. Hi. As well as doing that, she has also released your third album? Yes. um, Which is entitled The Sampler as Time Machine, and um, was of particular interest to this podcast because it deals with ideas of time technology and the strange interferences and uh, creative potential involved with that. Um, So I think to start off, did you want to just tell us a bit about what the, the concept of Sampler as Time Machine is? So the idea was to explore the sampler and explore it for its capability of interacting with the past, the present, and the future. So I delved a lot into what it means to time travel. I read a lot of books, I read a lot of scientific articles, and every time I came up with or came across a different concept of time travel, um, I wrote it down and then I contemplated how the sampler could use sound and samples to create that hypothetical form of time travel. So yeah, it was it resulted in a series of studio experiments that mm-hmm. were a little bit like uh, Brian Eno's uh, oblique strategies. Yeah. And um, what they were were a list of time travel ideas and then a list of ways to explore the, them using a sampler. And then resulting in a series of compositions that became the basis of what became my album. And so sort of, um, I've had a I've had a listen through the album a couple of times, and one of the most striking things I found about it was the way in which your voice is used. Um, it's particularly interesting because I actually kind of heard earlier iterations of when you were working on this album, and um, so things have been kind of um, coming out um, in interesting ways. Um, one of the most one of which is the fact that you're playing a lot with pitch and um, kind of having kind of lots of things that are um, t- spoken or kind of spoken word things that are then um, repurposed into the tracks. And also a lot of kind of unnaturally slowed down things or an unnaturally kind of warped or um, extended sounds. Um, and I felt this was kind of interesting because it, it creates an atmosphere of kind of a dialogue with the past is that kind of one of the manifestations of of this time machine process? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was really fascinated with our perception of time. And um, I mean, that changes through age. It changes through how you're feeling, um, you know, other influences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, even with a record player, slowing it down changes the pitch. So, yeah, I'm thinking about that when I'm making these creative choices and um, I've, I've forgotten the really interesting thing you said at the end there. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, the, the idea that it's kind of creating a dialogue. Oh yeah, so sampling in itself is a dialogue with the past. So when you put a microphone in front of something and take a sample of the sound, playing it in the present is like your ear becomes where the microphone was. 
that's you're sort of putting yourself in the past of when the sound was being created. Mm. And then um, conversely, I was trying to use the sampler to influence the future. So maybe just load in a whole lot of automation without knowing how it would sound and a lot of effects and then just press play. Cool. So <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. I'm making a future thing. I don't know what it's going to be, press play. Um, <laughs> or maybe it would be based on a sort of a reason to make those choices of those effects. Yeah, so trying to just connect with the past and the future. And then connecting with the present, um, I made a track which is called We Are The Beat, and it uh, was influenced by a article that um, outlines that the current um, scientific thought on how humans perceive the present is that we actually are not perceiving the present. <laughs> we're, we're getting data from our senses, but the problem is there's a lag between it reaching our minds. So actually in the present moment, we're just generating what we think it's going to be based on like a few split seconds before. So, I mean, if that's happening all of the time, everything is generated. Mm. So if you think about that in terms of a sampler, the sampler is playing a beat and then a beat and then a beat. The sampler isn't actually aware of the song as a whole. And so it's actually on a higher level generating a song, but just through step sequence beats. And I don't know, I just like to con consider how we, react, how we interact with time, how a machine interacts with time. Are we similar? Can we learn something from each other? And what are the creative results, I guess? Cool. I think, in a sense, this brings us to the um, like the very central sort of definition of what it of what the hauntological is in sort of the more uh, precise philosophical sort of metaphysical formulations of it as a concept in where we are drawn to and this is what sort of hauntological media demonstrates to us when we our attention is drawn to the um, petrally absent nature of the present moment, as it were that. Um, during the course of the procession, that as we perceive the present moment, it is always in a state of both the expectation of its of the arrival of the next moment, coupled with the retention of that moment falling away again. So, in the centre of that, there is this void almost where we um, of the present moment, which is can never actually be uh, grasped and can never really be perceived. And th this is what we mean when we talk about the hauntological nature of being as such. That there's always an expect simultaneously an expectation of the not yet arrived and the memory of the once was, but never actually of the was as it happens. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of cool. Like one of the one of the things I got from that as well is um, just kind of on uh, what struck me about um, talking about the biological reading of sound and the interpretation through that is one thing that we've talked about a lot in in the podcast and comes up a lot in kind of ontological discourse is the idea of the stress being on technology because um, because the nature of recording draws attention to the fact that it is um, that it is kind of a, an electronic medium and so it records imperfections and the imperfections are um, are subject to decay and things and that that creates the sense that has been drawn out of life 
but one of the things that I found with um with uh, the time well the track uh time can break is it time can break in um that one struck me in, in particular because even though it was doing kind of things that have um well using using um using sampling and using things to draw attention to the technology it also did kind of also simultaneously draw a lot of attention towards the biological because um when you're kind of slowing down or dissecting human created sounds in that way it draws a lot of attention to the physicality of them um to the point at which it's almost kind of uncomfortable because it it's it's it I found it reminiscent of a kind of like hypnagogic state um, where it's like there are voices and it's 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 being it's clearly something human present humanly produced but it's being altered in some way that feels more like a disruption of one's biological senses than than a technological error that's external to you. But yeah, that's it. Um, thank you. That's <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, the introduction especially is just a really fast like synth motif that shows up later in the track but it's really stretched and warped in mm. ways that uh they don't make any sense i mean <laughs> yeah but it's really cool to kind of like yeah the, there's a definitely a lot of motifs playing out across yeah <laughs> across I mean, the, the album yeah i was just trying to make time break into the moments that are normally thought of as being consecutive mm. yeah so yeah doing that to the audio was um yeah, playing off of the uh, – there's a little bit in the Mark Fisher book. Yeah. Um, Ghosts of My Life. Yes. Yeah, about um, – Is it the Japan track? Um, it, um, it's the bit about Sapphire and – what's it called? Oh, Sapphire I, and Steel. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I was, yeah. was going to mention that, actually, when you mentioned the name of the track. Said, Surely that must be a reference to uh, – Yes, it absolutely was. Time is a corrosive presence which can break into the present moment. Yeah, yeah. because that was a plot motif of, of that. I've never seen that TV show. I've never seen it. Sean, I'm, I'm I mean, I think you've it's seen before it. all of I, our time. I, I've tried twice to watch a, an episode all the way through, but it is, is quite slow. I, I mean, it's wonderful. Did time break into the plot? <laughs> yes, yes, it did. It was. I've tried to watch the first one a couple of times. I will. At some point, I will. But it's just quite long and it's quite slow. Um, but yes, it is excellent. And yes, and it's interesting that... Um, it's interesting kind of the afterlife that... Um, a lot of this media from specifically from the 70s into a lesser extent the 80s, but really kind of the 70s being the core moment, the kind of afterlife that, you know, K-Punk was able to grant them with his work. Yeah. What was it that uh, led you to sort of like having this interest in wanting to kind of explore these altered um, relationships with time through music? Oh, um... I suppose... Oh, well, for starters, I've been using the sampler for just, I mean, being a live artist as well as a studio producer, the way that I have decided to go live is to use the sampler. That way I have constant interaction with the um, instrument so that it's like almost like a band situation where, you know, I can be like, oh, let's extend this bit or like let's let's really jam out this bit or let's change this bit. Like when you're playing live in a band, you can look around and get eye contact and, you know, telepathize that yeah. you're like, oh, like everyone's really feeling this moment, let's extend it or, you know. So um, 
that's why I work with samplers. And then I was doing um, some thought and reading about samplers and I discovered some great quotes from other producers about samplers and how they interact with the past. And it just made me realise that there is a lot of artists out there who do contemplate the sampler as interacting with the past and the present and the future, only it hasn't really, to my knowledge, been that deeply explored by anybody that um, I, I just I wanted to know really more than just one comment about it being you know um yeah i would have to open up my thesis to kind of <laughs> do justice to any of the quotes but um yeah I, this isn't a very good answer but. <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's given us a sense of like where it's going which is very which is very good because yeah because it, it is it is definitely something that is there to be explored and i think yeah having uh, it does present that idea of like kind of um being able to in, the interactive part of music and stuff. I wanted to move on to that, but I was just curious as well because, like, because um, I remember like when we when we actually met, kind of um, about a year ago, I think um, we were talking a bit about um, your earlier work as well, which is I well, this struck me as kind of an interesting progression from that because even even though you've gone off into a very uh, different direction in terms of uh, composition strategy in terms of kind of like you were previously working with bands or performing with bands. Um, a lot of what your music, or the kind of musical milieu you seem to be kind of emerging out of was one that's tied in with the Lynchian dream pop kind of thing. I think, yeah, I think it was like, I can't remember what event it was, but it's like um, you had your um, genre descriptions as Lynchian dream pop and Technoir, Technoir being the, um, the club that they go to in, the, in Terminator. So fantastic kind of time travel tie in there. Um, time tra- um, Terminator, which we will cover on this podcast at some point, invariably. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, but um, but that was that was kind of interesting because the 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 Lynchian dimension is something that was kind of thematically tied to um, playing around with ideas of time because um, because like a lot of the music they were doing and with stuff like Julie Cruz in Twin Peaks, but I'm sure in other stuff as well is presenting. An anachronistic sounding music, music from that's more evocative of like kind of fifties, early sixties, but introducing an air of uncertainty or a strangeness or heightening that dislocation, and so that was kind of a thematic exploration with time. So it's it's interesting that it's now kind of that's the focal point. Yeah, I think when I first was producing, I latched onto the I guess the more sonic aesthetic of of that music and now you're right I'm latching on more to the thematic nature but yeah I mean the great thing about music is being able to react to all of these other um kind of external influences like cinema and yeah amazing directors and storytelling and yeah I'm definitely playing off of all of these ideas cool I remember what I was going to ask about now as well. Uh, the other thing. Um, sorry, I'm not... <laughs> we're new to this. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, the other thing I was curious about, because um, we were talking about um, which samples that you'd been using, and I was curious about kind of the conditions that these were um, recorded under, like whether they were um, improvised things or whether they were part of a conscious thing you wanted to write to be performed in a way that would then be taken out of that context into into the record into the sampled medium but um 
but yeah, were they were they kind of like were they were you recording with the sense of the song in mind, or was that was it more the other way around? Um, I was not recording with the song in mind. I was uh, creating samples of. I mean, I you know I am aware that my music fits within like pop and experimental techno kind of world. So obviously, I did expect the result to be that. So yeah, I guess it was with the knowledge that it would end up sounding somewhere within the boundaries of my own aesthetic. Um, I created almost all of the samples from scratch. I mean, a couple were something that came with the, you know, gear, but um, most of it was even having a drummer in a studio or uh, definitely like playing synths, um, like hardware synths and recording those but really I got really lost in the process of making this album and it just every song has about 20 different versions before I got to this point and a lot of the time I was just taking samples back off of a track that I had already like applied heaps of effects to and things and then resampling that putting it back into the samplers and running off of that so um it was just an ongoing process until I got to the point where I just felt like that was a track worthy of letting it be just how it is you know cool so moving on to um the other thing we mentioned in the introduction so um you're currently the the current um core of your phd research at the moment is um instrument design uh and this includes a um a one-handed violin which uh, i think is your most recent thing uh which was um with which you're uh, collaborating with the um, OMI Trust, the One-Handed Musical Instrument Trust. Um, what was the what was the kind of the background to that? It was a short work placement that I did over the summer um, for six months working with the OMI Trust, and the background is that um, all through the UK, school children are quite often uh, encouraged to learn an instrument in class. It's called whole class ensemble teaching, the WCT, and that is a way for primary schools to be hitting a, a quota of music's teaching that is set by the government. So the problem being that when a whole class is told to learn an instrument, if a child has a physical disability, they're quite often left out. So the most common instrument to be rolled out on the WCET program is the violin. And meanwhile, thousands of children have a upper limb disability, um, making it not possible to actually play a two-handed instrument. So in working with the One-Handed Musical Instrument Trust, I'm helping develop a one-handed violin that can be performed using only one hand. At the moment, it's in a prototype stage. It can work but it's not at the point where it could be um, rolled out to school children it doesn't one of the criteria is to sound just like a violin and to be able to play but all violin repertoire and I mean at the moment it's got limitations and um, it's it's perfectly fine for making noise music and, and strange. <laughs> I did put some of it on my album and I, I do play it live sometimes, but it's in terms of being a replacement of a classical violin, um, it's got a ways to go. Yeah. 
Though really, I don't think there could be a nobler goal than trying to you know, spread the good word of noise <laughs> to our school children. <laughs> Gotta get them young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kids like atonal stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, which, out of curiosity, which track does the uh, the violin appear on? It's our type can break in, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, so the concept of the one-handed violin is that the bow is retained and the pitch selecting hand which also holds up the violin is is the hand that is not being used Mm. and then it's an electric violin that is being bowed and then the sound comes in off of the string into a microcomputer that's been coded to pitch shift it and then output and the way that the pitch is detected is by the performer wearing a throat microphone and singing the note that they wish to to pitch it to oh cool Mm. Yeah, so singing and bowing. Yeah, so it's quite fun to play. Um, and, yeah, I hope to get it out. I, I will actually have it out at um, the at the Welcome Collection on the 2nd. No, 8th? Oh. At some point in the... Yeah, we'll link out to yeah. it. <laughs> but that's really cool because it's like that's, that's the kind of... Um, output counterpart i guess to what we were talking what we were talking about with um the kind of the biological input um of the ear and that and that playing a part in the interpretation of of this album and the intended kind of um thrust of it this it's now kind of it's now something that's um uh, much more much more kind of i guess like I guess, like you know, the the hand moving the strings um, is a biological component anyway, but that's a much more kind of intimately integral um, biological component. I mean, now that we have really small computer chips that can pitch shift audio in real time without noticeable latency, like we are not confined to classical instruments, mm-hmm. we can choose to play them if we want to, but we're also not confined to pretty much anything that we knew about instrument design. So, yeah, and if you think about that in context of the album, yeah, what we're understanding about time is also completely changing. I mean, so many people don't even think time exists. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's an interesting kind of, like, focal point for overturning some, like, extremely bourgeois ideas about what comes uh, counts as classical or orchestral music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also the ways of teaching music. I mean, it takes years and years to master the violin. Do you need to wait that many years to be included in the world of musical, of music, really, mm. of composition and performance? Yeah. yeah. The gatekeepers must be short. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> what were some of the because um, you mentioned previously the sort of like the the numerous different kind of like almost like you know, fluxing ways we encounter time over the course of our lives? What were some of the um, some of those? What were the experiences that you found some of the most helpful when you were trying to um, formulate this project? Um, not 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 seem to be so sort of autobiographical about it, but just sort of like um, broadly the kind of sort of um, ways we encounter time. I, a few of the tracks are really heavily influenced by how we encounter memories. So um, I think that might be, yeah, I, d- I don't really think that the, the time speeding up as we age being 
was necessarily an influence, but I've heard people say that time does speed up as we age. I mean, if you think of a week when you're a kid, it feels like a year. You know? so <laughs> it's that, but I, I think the the um, psychological term is telescoping. Okay. Um, in that, rather than kind of the the optic use of a telescope, the the compression of a oh, telescope the expansion. Yeah. yeah, because it's just that you have more memories, and so um, you have you think of time in more dense terms because um, it's time experienced relative to time past and if you've only lived say five years um sitting you know uh, doing being somewhere over the space of six months is a significant percentage of uh, your measured existence to that point whereas um when when we're, like someone who's 30 is now looking back and it's like um yeah it's 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 a much smaller increment and things have things have kind of less kind of epical weight. Um, not everything mm. is kind of a flashpoint anymore. Or or, or it, I think it draws more attention to particular flashpoints. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, time travel, perception of time, this is just, it's a never-ending kind of rabbit hole to go down and, and discover. So yeah, I I did do a lot of research and then just the bits that came out were... The, yeah, the the compositions that kind of dr- I found interesting ended up on the album, but not every concept made itself in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but in terms of memory, um, yeah. I was definitely interested in the ways that our minds access memory and through accessing them. Or actually, people say that we just generate memory. They don't even exist anywhere in particular in our minds, but mm. they're changed every time that we... I've heard that. Which is, yes, that the one of the theories being that we recollection is the reconstruction of the of the memory, meaning that um, the points in our lives we recall the most regularly are the ones that end up becoming them, in a sense, the most artificial in a certain in a certain way. Yeah, and then there's another thing where, while we're sleeping, our mind flushes unnecessary memories so that's where things go from short term to either we don't even need to know that or let's Mm -hmm. keep that for long-term memories Mm. so how do we know we're making the right decisions on what to keep I mean that's a a purely subconscious level and when we wake up it is are we still the same (laughs) (laughs) it is kind of like I think like the process of defragging a computer, which I remember doing a lot more in the past, yeah. <laughs> like on, kind of during the XP era, now seemed a lot trusting, more pressing. Now we're yeah. trusting the computer to defrag itself, see? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a sample purge button on my sampler as well. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, is it, what does it if do? If you haven't assigned a sample, if, you've, if you want to clear up some memory and you haven't assigned that sample, it'll just say, oh, we don't need this anymore. So it's quite similar to... Um, what's happening when we sleep and clear our memories so yeah I just find this you know in that way if we're not keeping a memory we don't have it's we can't interact with the past anymore can we with Mm. that existing so um it's yeah it's a it's it's a curious relationship design that we have and there's apparently no reason why we shouldn't be able to remember the future and Many scientists remember the future. Yeah, scientists are wondering whether 
it's just a survival mechanism that we can only see time in one direction. Cool. <laughs> I just saw your face change. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lecture that uh, China Mevil, uh, we, I posted it on the Facebook, uh, the Wizard Signal Facebook page recently for Halloween. He, he get, oh, Gothic like, Marxism. Gothic Marxism, yeah. yes, and where he discusses... Um, I mean, it, I don't think he discusses time directly, but one of the things he does discuss in that is the notion that when a being actually become attains sentience, like true sentience, is when it's able to anticipate possibilities rather than certainties. Uh, the example he's giving it being um, how we can use a tool or like carry some, literally just carry something with us with the expectation of there being a possibility it will be used, but knowing that this isn't a certainty and there is a scenario, there are, there is a bra- there are branching scenarios in future time rather than a certain pathway that we're going to be following. Yes. Yeah, cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And in performance, I mean, you know, where if we are using an instrument with flexibility enough to you know, interfere with what it will do moment to moment, we can choose all different ways of expressing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, bringing that concept to musical performance, I think that's quite exciting. Yeah. And thinking about this in terms of of using this in a performance context, um, there is, in fact, a launch for the uh, the new album, Santharist Time Machine, coming up on the 2nd of December. Uh, That's 1st of December, right? <laughs> Already messing with time. <laughs> but that's going to be at uh, New River Studios in um, in Haringey. Um, and that, um, you, you told me a brief bit about it. It's going to be, as well as launching the album, it's also going to be bringing together a couple of artists that you've... Um, you've well, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you explained kind of the, the process of like curating that, but, but it's... It's work. It's people working around a particular theme, and that is um, dealing with time in one way or another. So, so who have we actually got for this? Okay, so I'm doing a live set. End all work is doing a DJ set. Kid Who is doing a DJ set. A Bear is playing live. Um, that's a really great artist who works with um, synths and um, also deconstructed pop. Um, Lizzie Lawrence is doing a live audio visual set. And also uh, Digital Selves is a live coder and um, Niku is, is DJ. So, yeah, I think that's everybody. It's quite a large day. Yeah. The visuals will be done by They Said They Saw, which is a, a visual artist I have been collaborating on with the Electrolytes AV series. And um, he's also been doing my visuals, for example, at the Tate Modern... Mm. Um, performance that I did earlier this year for Sampler as a Time Machine. We'll share the video of that on the, on the Twitter. Yeah, so everybody who's performing is doing so under the theme of time travel and hauntology and the visuals will be on theme as well. And yeah, it's just a great celebration of artists who are working in kind of more experimental territories of live and audiovisual electronic music. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, Sean, you're, you're down for that. <laughs> oh, and Lorraine James. <laughs> oh, Lorraine yeah. Lorraine James is playing a live set. Yeah, it's 
I knew there was one extra one. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll make sure we'll make sure there's a, a, a weird signal representation there. Yeah, definitely. Wear our t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so there was a as well as the as well as um, the kind of one-handed uh, violin going back to your research at the moment. Uh, there are two other um, two other instruments that you've kind of innovated with um, and uh, coined. I've, I've forgotten the name for the other one, but um, one of them is a hacked chandelier. Uh, that is the um, chandelier, um, and that was exhibited at Ars Electronica. And what's the what is the kind of thrust of that? It's a chandelier that I found at a market, and I put lights back in it and turned it into a musical instrument. So it reacts to movement in space, and the sound of it is created by kind of tapping it or shaking it, and there's just micro changes to the sound depending on its orientation. Cool. Yeah. And it makes a pretty pretty awesome noise. Yeah, the sound was designed to sound like the electricity going through the chandelier, but also a little bit like the, I guess it's made of brass, so there's just a bell-like sound as well. Yeah. Mm. And the lights, the lights all... Uh, are reactive to the sound as well. That's really cool because it's like, yeah, because the raw materials were kind of there in it and it was, it was kind of asking to be made into instruments. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and then. That's interesting because it's now going back into Lynchian dimensions again. With the, um, have you seen the last bit of um, of season three? I can't remember if we were talking about it last time. We Twin out. Peaks. Yeah, I have. Which bit? Are you uh, that about? bit with the. Okay. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry, this will make no, oh, no. sense outside. Nobody. Okay. This is this is bad spoiler territory. Okay. <laughs> I, tr- I it just got too much for me. I had to put it down for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I just that uh, that TV series should have been shown in cinemas. It was absolutely beautiful. I think there have been yeah, there, there's definitely been screenings. I think there might have been marathon screenings. That would be awesome. <laughs> I want to go to one of them. Yeah. So the second instrument is called Real Time. That's the and one. It's a hacked reel-to-reel tape machine. To it's turned into a digital tape looper, so it doesn't need the tape anymore you can just with your hands move the tape reels and sample and then play back eight eight tracks of of loops and it was inspired by Delia Derbyshire and the Radiophonic Workshop those are the early tape explorers yeah fantastic So 
This is from the book Time Travel by James Gleek. I'm just going to read a little quote. Brave writers are willing to risk an incoherency or two. Philip K. Dick ran the clocks backwards, as it were, in Counterclockworld, and so did Martin Amiss in Time's Arrow. So that idea of running the clocks backwards made me think about what if you have a track, you've created your whole track, but then you reverse the track, but not in the way of just getting the sample and just turning um, the entire song and turning it backwards, like running backwards, but actually reversing where the sample hits were, but the samples run forwards. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was one of the oblique strategies that I came up with out of time travel. Nice. <laughs> yeah, actually. So I could t- tell you one more. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is also from the same book. I'm just flicking through the book. Um, Time travel by James Gleek. Um. We have to ask these questions. Um, could everything have turned out differently? Um. What if you? could not only kill Hitler and see what happens, but you could go back again and again and make improvements, tweaking the timeline like the weatherman Phil, Bill Murray, in one of the greatest of all time travel movies, Groundhog Day. I have to agree. (laughs) (laughs) But that's one of the greatest. So the compositional idea that came from this of like whether you could not only change history but do it better and better um, was this idea of creating a track out of you just come up with one loop of your section. So like, you know, whatever elements come into that, like kick, drum, snare, like kick, snare, synth, bass, I don't know, whatever you think sounds good in one section. But then you do that section again, but make a tweak. But then you do that section again, but make a tweak. But you do that section again and make a tweak. Or you go back to the original untweaked one and make a tweak and start again of these different branches that, kind of go down thanks cool yeah Yeah. so those were the that was that was how and of course I read yeah I read as many books and watched as many movies as I could on time travel I mean it's not a hard task to set Uh yourself it's quite fun (laughs) (laughs) and came up with these ideas of how to let that influence my composition awesome cool I was just reminded of um a thing but this is going to sound like way out of like way left of field, but um, that thing about kind of like taking back samples and then playing them back, but in ways that they wouldn't have hitherto been played, just reminded me of someone did an experiment, or not experiment, just fa- discovered a cool thing where do you know the the chipmunks, um, Alvin and the chipmunks, they as well as having a, I remember the cartoon series from the nineties, but they also released a series of albums, um, in which they um basically did all the um, a series of pop tracks in chipmunk voices. But these were recorded by musicians who were singing, and then um, the pitch of those had been tweaked up, and then they were still... But not the... They hadn't been sped up, but the pitch had been tweaked. Um, and um, so they sounded like chipmunks. And then someone had the bright idea of, like, what if we slow it down so um, to lower their voices back to human level but with the music really slow. And what you end up with is, like, funeral doom covers of um, Blondie's Call Me and um, Walk Like an Egyptian. And it's 
we'll link out to it. It's rather beautiful. It is. It, is, it, was, it was absolutely just beautiful to listen to. <laughs> the, the, the artwork to go with it is just a... Um, melting chip. Melting acid fried chipmunks. Well, this sounds like, you know, I might not be the only person trying to work on experimental pop music <laughs> in the context of time travel. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant field and I'm excited to see what comes of it. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what better notes we could end on than acid yeah. fried melting chipmunks there. Cool. So, so thank you very much for coming on the show. This has been great. Uh, this has been fantastic. We'll get you on the podcast at some point to talk about if, movies. If you're down. <laughs> of course. And uh, well, good luck with all the projects, especially the uh, the one-handed violin. That's, 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 that's really cool. That, that's a really cool thing you're doing there. So well, thank you for your time. Thank uh, you. Cheers. And best of luck with the launch. Thanks. Cool. Right. Um, um, so, yeah. So, actually, wait. No, we have a thing. Oh, we have to sign off. Yeah. We have to sign off. So, um, so on that note, um, keep it weird. And stay sick. The discourse is real. <laughs> Goodbye.